Hello and welcome to the Mayor Greg Fisher podcast. I'm Mayor Greg Fisher. On November the 15th, uh, I was honored to be invited to the White House to join about 30 mayors there and members of the Congress and to join President Joe Biden when he signed the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure investment and jobs act on the South Lawn of the White House. It was great uh, for a lot of reasons, but I love that it was bipartisan. People deserve bipartisanship. So it was great to see that was still alive and well, and I hope other great bipartisan actions will be coming. Now, by way of scope, uh, what's amazing is this is the biggest investment in infrastructure since President Dwight D. Eisenhower uh, built the interstate system or ordered the interstate system to be built. So this is a lot more than once in a generation. So far at the rate we're going, this is a, twice in a century in America. Now I hope there's more investment in infrastructure before we wait for another half century. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to have a lot to do. This coming on top of the Coronavirus Relief Act, the American Rescue Plan funds, you know, for the next three to five years, there's going to be quite a bit of capital projects going on in our city. Uh, the details of the $1.2 trillion are still being worked out. We've got people here going through each line of the bill so we can assess what it means for each one of our departments and parts of the city and our citizens. But we know a few things about it. Uh, there's about $120 million in the bill. In total, will be going to public transportation. So for us, that's obviously TARC. They'll be able to make some good investments and in, let's say, for example, a more sustainable fleet. Uh, the state of Kentucky is receiving almost $5 billion uh, that will be focused on roads and bridges and such. We hope that we'll be getting our portion of that as well. And there's going to be a lot more coming beyond that, broadband, water, wastewater, et cetera, some of the things we're going to be talking about here in our city. So we're going to talk about this opportunity here with two of the great leaders in Metro government, Jeff O'Brien, our chief of Louisville Forward, and Grace Simrall, our chief of civic innovation and technology. Welcome to you both. Thank, Thank you, Mayor. Mayor. All right, let's get started. Jeff, let's start with you. Infrastructure rating in general in America is abysmal. We're 13th best infrastructure in the world, according to the Society of Engineers. And Kentucky is a C minus on the infrastructure report card issued by the American Society of Civil Engineers. So obviously this investment is going to allow us to do better. It sounds like a huge amount of money, and it is a lot, not compared to the total need. But what do you anticipate coming from the bill, and how will it help us? Well, yeah, I think that anytime we see these historic investments in infrastructure, it's just it's going to be a great day for us. Um, when we last did a full-on assessment of our transportation network, that was in 2016 as part of our Move Louisville plan, and at that time we found that we were woefully underinvested investing our local dollars in our transportation network. And, and what we found is, is that we needed to, that we had a $300 million backlog in our, uh, in our transportation network. And so what we've done through our Metro budget the last few years is make a significant strides towards reinvesting and paving our roads, fixing our sidewalks, fixing our, um, our signage, our traffic signals, all the things that we need to have a good functioning transportation network. And so that's really one of the big challenges that we have just in terms of the physical capital needs. But when we look at moving people around our city, uh, right now about 82% of us get to work in our car. 
Uh, and what we know is if we just expand road networks, that's, not, that's just going to attract more congestion. And so uh, we need to have this historic investment in transit that we've seen. And so I think this bill provides us with a great opportunity to rethink our transportation network and rethink um, how we get around our city and really help us achieve some of our goals that we laid out in Move Louisville, which is to build a more multimodal um, transportation network. So cars, buses, Bikes, Bikes walking, pedestrians, yeah. all, right. all, Get all these things. buzzwords in transportation. Right. Scooters, I, mean, I, know, I know that's uh, yeah. maybe a controversial one, but scooters also help people get around. Absolutely. So uh, about half of the bill is formula uh, driven. In other words, we get X amount of dollars already based on Y percent of the population. So uh, for instance, public transportation, I think is being increased 20 or 25 percent. So we know that amount that's going to be coming to us. Another half, roughly, is competitive grants. And one of the uh, grants is called Reconnecting Communities. So when you think about parts of the community that have been uh, disconnected by large pieces of infrastructure, that's happened over the years. Harlan Bartholomew, the father of modern sitting planning, used that as a specific tool to keep what they thought were undesirable parts of the population away from the city center. So we're focused on 9th Street, possibly. Yeah, it's a big boulevard. It's really kind of dangerous to walk over. It does not attract intimacy in terms of people coming together. So that would be an example of a project that we would bid on. So tell us a little bit about that project, what it costs, how we would go about doing that. Yeah, so the 9th Street project is a, is a really great example of something that we need to do to reconnect our communities. And that project is a $21 million project that looks at 9th Street coming off of Interstate 64 down to Broadway. And what we've seen throughout the history of the United States is these projects have disconnected communities from their neighborhoods, from uh, their natural features. You think about the, our, our interstate system that's running in downtown Louisville. Interstate 64 has disconnected us from the river. Interstate 65 has disconnected downtown from uh, the near eastern side. And so 9th Street is one of those places where we didn't do an elevated interstate, but we did the wide boulevard, um, as, as we mentioned there. And that project is really looking to bolster um, the investment that we've had, not just in downtown, uh, but also in the Russell neighborhood, the historic investment that's gone into the Beecher Terrace and the Choice Neighborhoods um, grants that we've won there. And it really is working to support a more livable street and a street, when you enter downtown, it is a proud gateway into the city of Louisville. Ninth Street is a natural gateway into our city. And we're hoping that um, rebuilding that street is more functional for the residents that live downtown and in Russell, better build those bridges in our community. And then um, also still do the necessary things that Ninth Street needs to do, move traffic downtown. In 2020, we introduced the first transit line, real transit line that's running on 9th Street with the Dixie Highway Bus Rapid Transit Project. So really we see 9th Street as being more supportive of all the transportation modes and being more supportive to the neighborhoods it, it connects. And you mentioned Dixie Highway, that's the, one of the biggest projects we've done in the last five years or so. Well, and it's taken five years and it's an expensive project, very busy road. We've got the Preston Street Corridor uh, project that's being studied here. How, how could this infrastructure bill potentially help the Preston Street Corridor? Yeah, it, it, the, the infrastructure bill is really gonna help us, um, again, advance these, these projects. So Move Louisville kind of gave a sketch for projects that we should pursue in terms of 
here are some ideas for, for better um, using our, our historic corridors that, we've ha that we have in this community. And the Preston is going to generate some ideas. And so this infrastructure bill uh, could really help us advance that project and make it go faster. And when you think about what Preston Highway connects, it connects downtown to the medical district, to the University of Louisville, to the airport. It really is this, this great connective fiber that we have in our community that's a problem that is an underused asset in terms of transportation and uh, commercial development. And so I think if we can make a big investment, both in terms of roadway safety and transit on Preston Highway, similar to what we did on Dixie Highway, I think we could really have a, a, a winning project that really helps us build on the things that we've done uh, in downtown, not just, not just in the Preston Highway corridor, but from the airport to downtown. And then when we head out east and some of the I-265, and when you think about state money and some of the, you know, it's growing rapidly out there. We need help out there as well. So we'll be prioritizing all of our projects, obviously, and working with the state to see what we can get done locally. So that's on the transportation side of the bill. About another half of the bill is on things like water, wastewater, but broadband also. And so, Grace, this has been a long passion of yours. You've been fighting the digital divide your whole career since it was even a concept and you and your team have done a lot to make progress on bringing people together digitally here in our community with the internet. So talk a little bit about this bill and what opportunities it gives us to close the digital divide and what is the digital divide? Well, thank you for asking, Mayor. I think for a lot of the listeners of this podcast, they probably take for granted the ability to conduct their daily lives through the convenience and value add of digital platforms and um, internet connectivity. Now, um, I think that was no more better highlighted than the COVID-19 global pandemic when there were individuals in our community who were largely able to continue doing work um, from home. Their children could do remote instruction from home. They could buy goods and services online. They could continue doing banking online. Their entertainment came from the internet. So the digital divide is the gap that exists between individuals who have that access and are able to fully participate in a modern digital life and digital economy uh, versus those who cannot. And, um, and so if we are to recognize that um, the internet should not be a luxury, but in fact is a necessity, um, it should be our entire uh, uh, kind of effort and focus to close that gap. So <clears throat> we've got some areas of the city that have got low cost, high speed internet. We've got other parts that have low speed, higher cost internet. Very few areas don't have internet in our city. So how will we assess what our possibilities are for investment and how then will we go about competing for funds or getting formula driven funds to implement this? Because we don't do it, our, I mean, the government doesn't deliver internet services directly. No, we don't. Um, it largely, you know, there might be some smaller towns that have things like a municipal broadband. I, I think of uh, a mid-sized city like Chattanooga investing in municipal broadband. But for largely in America, um, the way you receive internet connectivity and services is through private companies and providers. Now in um, Louisville, Jefferson County, uh, you know, there are a lot of residents who have an option between two providers, so either AT&T or Spectrum. Um, but to your point, Mayor, there are parts of our community that are just unserved. And um, there are a whole host of reasons why they are unserved. We have been able to leverage um, competitive grants 
through the American Rescue Plan dollars uh, to go after closing those unserved areas. But I think what's so striking about the Infrastructure um, Act is that it addresses affordability. So for many of our residents, they might have an option from a, a local private company, but it is out of reach financially. Even the low cost internet plans that they might be eligible for are out of reach. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the Emergency Broadband Benefit Act that came out of uh, the COVID stimulus funds. Um, but even then, there's uh, a limited definition of who's eligible for those funds, leaving many in our community who um, don't qualify for government assistance, such as SNAP benefits or um, free or reduced school lunch, but still can't afford internet service. And so we are um, really excited that these funds help us address affordability in a, a more long-term sort of way. Talk a little bit about how we have worked with JCPS, especially at the beginning of COVID to make sure we could do everything we can to make sure their students had broadband. Yes, um, it was really a tremendous effort, uh, a large lift, um, both with the JCPS as well as the city at the beginning of the pandemic. Now, just to give you a sense of what we were faced with before, um, we viewed the work of digital inclusion to be a three-legged stool. It's uh, connectivity is one of the legs, access to hardware is a second leg, and the third leg is skills. It, you won't get a solid stool unless you, you invest in all three. Um, and, and studying the ground truth of what is occurring in our community was something we were very committed to. So using data we collected through crowdsourcing, Speed Up Louisville being the example of that, or um, deeply mining the data that was present in the American Community Survey about, um, again, the demographics of those who have access to internet services, broadband internet services, and or have a, an actual computer, so either a desktop or a laptop in their homes. Um, our numbers were not great. You know, from what we could tell, uh, between 18 to 20% of Louisvillians at Louisville households did not have uh, a computer in their homes that could fully take advantage. They might have a mobile device, but try imagining getting online and doing all of these things that we, we just listed on simply a mobile device. It's just not feasible. You weren't gonna be able to participate in remote instruction borrowing your mom or dad's phone um, to try and, and do school. So um, we had to really immediately address the needs of both the hardware piece um, because it was so uh, such a large number in our community that were affected as well as the connectivity piece. Now, again, based on information that we were able to gather, um, we were looking at somewhere in the order of 15% of Louisville households not having a broadband connection at home. And if you were to look at neighborhoods that are also affected by the the social divide, that's an even larger percentage. Mm -hmm. And so working with JCPS, we came up with a strategy that, that dealt with all three. Um, JCPS really focused on the hardware piece. They were able to convince the principals in the schools to pull Chromebooks out of their schools that had been dedicated for in-classroom instruction and send them to families. Um, massive undertaking. Tens of thousands of, of Chromebooks went home to kids. And at the same time, we had a really strategic effort at finding our most vulnerable students um, and making sure that they had connectivity needs addressed. And for JCPS, that was uh, students who were um, either English as a second language um, students and or students who really needed 
individualized instruction. Um, and, and they couldn't benefit from a, the asynchronous learning plans that JCPS was gonna deploy for the rest of their students. So um, focusing on those populations, we were able to negotiate um, and obtain and procure um, Wi-Fi hotspots for those families, ensuring that their children got online. Yeah, big project. So congrats to you and the whole JCPS team. And then, of course, now JCPS has made a lot more progress with hardware to each student and integrating hardware, software, the, all the things you talked about, connectivity into more robust learning plans now. So it's been great. That's exactly right. So we talked about transportation. We talked about broadband. Uh, there's water. There's wastewater. One of the focus areas of the bill is to make sure that uh, we deal with climate-related issues. Climate's obviously changing, sustainability challenges are out there. What are the, some of the things in the bill, Jeff, that you're excited about? Well, I'm really excited about the EV uh, electric vehicle charging infrastructures and all the dollars that are coming for electric vehicles. It's, you know, when I think about our challenges for transportation in Louisville, we think about uh, connectivity issues, we think about our, the quality of our infrastructure, but then we also have to think about modernizing our infrastructure and getting ready for um, the next transportation. So that EV uh, charging infrastructure really provides us with an opportunity to put ourselves on the map. We always talk about that we're a day's drive uh, to two-thirds of the country's population and uh, you know what, what better way with that kind of connectivity to be the center for EV charging and having that lining interstate uh, 65, Interstate 64, and Interstate 71. I think that just really is a great opportunity for us. And then, of course, it's a great way to grow jobs with Ford's recent announcement um, in the in the region. I mean, really, we could be the center for uh, electric vehicles, and so that that kind of investment really excites me. And then our opportunities to grow um, renewable um, energy resources that that is also an opportunity that. Uh, the administration is taken seriously, and that's got to be something that we do as a city, as a, as a state, as a country, to really start combating climate change in a serious manner. Yeah, so when you think about it, if you own an electric vehicle right now and you want to tour around the country, and it's like, okay, can I do that with my electric vehicle? Where are the charging stations? Are they quick charges? I think it's what half of the people roughly have a garage that they can put a car in. What about the ones that don't? So this is a whole new frontier for us as a country. Now there's other countries that are ahead of us with this and it's obviously really mandatory. So yeah, the electrification of the fleet is obviously taking place in America, automotive, truck, et cetera, because it's a much cleaner way to uh, have transportation for us here in the country. So we're in a good spot here with Ford's announcement right up the street, or right you know, up the street, 40 miles or so uh, south there, but it's gonna impact Certainly our economy here, I'm hoping some clean tech investments, some more things in advanced manufacturing. So that's exciting for us. Now, also there's some energy block grants. What kind of things can we do with that? Well, I'm really hoping that we, we take a stab at a couple of things that we need in our infrastructure. So lighting, we think about lighting around the city and getting that change from the, the standard high pressure sodium uh, fixtures that we have in our city to the LED fixtures, which are much more, uh, much more energy efficient and frankly are a better long-term uh, sustainability um, component in terms of uh, our, our fiscal responsibility and in terms of maintenance, they're easier to maintain than the standard uh, fixtures. So that's something that we did with the last, uh, with the ARA 
uh, stimulus package where we we uh, did some of we did we did some change out of fixtures. That's so the 2008. 2009, yeah, 2009, mm -hmm. uh, 2008-2009 bill. So that that's that's something that I'm I'm looking forward to. We also did some uh, installation of solar panels on city buildings, so that helps us get our uh, achieve our goals of having. 100% uh, clean, renewable um, operations for Metro government by 2030. Grace, when you look at the other opportunities in the bill, what jumps out to you? Cybersecurity is certainly top of mind. Um, I think that prior to the pandemic, there was actually a lot of attention being paid to um, malicious criminal attacks against not just private companies, but also government. Um, and that has continued in spite of, again, uh, the lack of coverage. Um, so it's really critical that uh, we make smart strategic investments in cybersecurity. And again, um, resilience from a digital standpoint as it relates to cybersecurity. So there's a lot in the bill. And so when you think about the, this infrastructure bill, as I mentioned, the Coronavirus Relief Act, the American Rescue Plan, uh, this is a really watershed moment for the country. The Biden administration's goal that before the end of the year, there'll be some kind of vote on the Build Back Better plan. That's investment in what they call human infrastructure. So things like childcare, uh, universal pre-K, uh, better health care, et cetera. How it ties into where we're at right now is that there's a workforce shortage. And women in particular have really been hurt their workforce participation has been hurt by the pandemic and the recession. So the, if we can get childcare passed through Build Back Better, it will get a lot of women back in the workforce that will solve some of these workforce shortages that are going on. So all of this is linked together. It's a time of real change in America. I think we're investing in our infrastructure. We're investing in our people. That's a good bet, right? I mean, other countries are moving ahead and don't have nearly the politics that we have in this. The politics are important to get something done, but we need to get something done. So all good stuff uh, for our city so far, hopefully more to come for this, us and our country as well. So a lot more we could talk about, but we wanted to give you a brief snippet here on this podcast. So again, this is the Mayor Greg Fisher podcast. I thank you all. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Grace. A lot of work to do. Thank you, Mayor. So glad to be here. Right. Thank you, Mayor. All right, take care.